Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross. And today I'm really excited to be introducing you to a good friend of mine. Her name is Jan McLaughlin. Now, Jan has been referred to in the Seattle Times as a pioneer in the image industry and the most frequently quoted image professional in the Pacific Northwest. She was also a popular guest on television and radio and is in constant demand as a speaker. Respected by her peers, Jan served as the president of the award-winning National Speakers Association Pacific Northwest. She's also been quoted and has authored articles in the Wall Street Journal, the Christian Science Monitor, the Seattle Times, and many more. Friends, this is a fascinating episode where Jan and I talk about emotional intelligence and the importance of using emotional intelligence in speaking. How do you deliver your communication as a, with a professional image? And importantly, how do you communicate and set a vision that inspires people both within and outside the organization? I hope you find this conversation uh, inspiring uh, just the way I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Jan McLaughlin. Good morning, Jan. Uh, welcome to the Wisdom of Friends uh, show. I'm really excited that you took the time to be on this program. And let me start off with my first impressions of you. We met at the National Speakers Association uh, meetup in the Pacific Northwest almost a year ago. And uh, just your presence and your vitality and your energy was so infectious that I really went back and studied your background and your re- research on your website. And I was just fascinated by what you've accomplished uh, in your glorious career. And I know that having you on the show would be such a treat for my audience. So really appreciate you taking the time to be on the program. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Cal. It was a delight to meet you, too. And I might add, it was a party. (laughs) (laughs) It was indeed a party. party. Yes. (laughs) And it was a fun party, uh, definitely. It was just uh, amazing. Amazing time meeting all the accomplished uh, speakers and uh, leaders uh, in that community. So really, really had a great time. So what I'm curious about, Jen, and before we talk about your expertise in uh, effective communication, and that's really uh, what you're well known for, I'm curious about what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? In other words, where did you grow up and how would you describe your childhood? Uh, Number one, it was wonderful. I grew up uh, in Microsoft land on the east side of Lake Washington, and my dad was a very successful football coach um, until something I won't go into because it's controversial. Uh, he held the state record for undefeated string in high school football. So it, it really shaped our lives, and no one can see me, although they'll see my picture, We always laughed. If it was possible to have a female clone of a male, I'm it. I am am a lot like my dad. 
So something that has done has really enabled me to connect with uh, a, a real diverse audience. My mom was the director of a sewing department at a vocational technical school. And I think part of that is why I created my first business. Uh, in addition, my, my grandmother, uh, my grandma, <laughs> there was a difference between grandma and grandmother, uh, was really my soulmate. Um, she had emigrated here from Germany all alone at the age of 18. And I have always found that just fascinating. She traveled and traveled, and we watched her go around the world, oh, I think four times, and brought me um, a stone, a very large, uh, turns out it's, it's a smoky quartz, but we like to call it a topaz, uh, from one of her trips. And I wear it a lot, and I teach people this in my programs. I always say, have a symbol that you can have with you wherever you are that connects you to the strength that you need. And as a professional speaker, of course, I'm all over the world and I'm not in my environment. So when I have her ring on, I can literally touch it and feel her strength. And if I need to really get in touch with my body, you know, a lot of people who are afraid of speaking talk about, you know, the out-of-body experience. Uh, I haven't experienced it, but I've certainly witnessed it in a lot of the people I've coached. And so when I need to really get connected with myself, I will actually squeeze the ring to the point where it hurts a little bit. And so between being connected to her power and getting back in touch with my own body, it's really been a help. So those three people were hugely influential in my life. And my brother, uh, there were just the two of us. Oh, gosh, see, now I'm going to get teary-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, all of them really encouraged me to be me, not to be anybody else. And if you talk to any of them, they would say, oh, yeah, she was always her own self. <laughs> So uh, that's my background. No, that is so great. And I appreciate you sharing that. And one of the things that really uh, um, caught my attention when you're sharing was the importance of symbolism. And a long time ago, I wouldn't say a long time ago, maybe like uh, probably four to five years ago, I had an opportunity to study this neuro-linguistic programming where we talk about the importance of really getting into a state and as you said having an uh, image of some kind or having some kind of an actual physical uh, ornament or whatever that might be that could get you into a state quickly that allows you to be at your best and really identify with your strengths or superpower or whatever that might be and now that is such a brilliant point and uh thank you for reminding us of that because i think as speakers we tend to forget uh you know, what our strengths are and, uh, you know, tapping into those uh, strengths when we need it the most. So that's great. So now the other question. I know Cal, I'm... Cal, let me clarify about that because to me there are two things. Mm-hmm. One is the physical symbol that you can have with you. I always think of uh, World War II movies and you'd see the, the soldier take off his helmet because it was always a him then. And inside the helmet, he would have a picture of his family or his wife Mm. or his girlfriend. And that was his symbol. 
I remember watching uh, a program one time. It was interviewing a lot of Vietnam vets, or actually, I think it was interviewing active uh, armed services people now. And one of somebody said, "Do you have a symbol that you carry with you?" And this big guy pulled out of his pocket one of those little tiny angel tokens. Hmm. You know, it looks like an angel. And he said, I always have this with me. So that's the physical symbol. But since you brought it up, let me mention another thing. And this is something I teach in one of my, in a lot of my classes, but one especially in how to stay cool when things heat up. And it's sensory recall. And I used to love to watch Inside the Actor's Studio. And I remember one time James Lipton was talking about, or he did it with many of his guests, talking about sensory recall. And it, what it really says is go to a place, and it's exactly what you were just saying, go to a place where you feel extremely comfortable. And so I have uh, people in my in my workshop shut their eyes and picture that place. And one guy, of course, said, you mean go to our happy place? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, whatever you want to call it, go to your happy place. But what this is what actors use to get in touch with whatever emotion they need for the scene. So it's sensory recall. So you both have a symbol, which is physical, and then this ability to recall a place. So it needs to be, well, you mentioned NLP, it needs to be all the senses. What do you smell? What do you feel? Uh, is there any taste to it? What do you see? So you're really surrounding yourself with that place and the feeling that you have in that place. That, so I that, could go on and on about this one. I'll stop. <laughs> no, that, that's great. That's really great. And it's, it is so important. And it's one of those, uh, those hidden ma- magical gems that uh, most of the uh, speakers need to really learn and master because it can really take their game to the next level. Uh, now, going, moving on to the next question, Jan, I know you've had this stellar career background in, in the sense that, and it started off with uh, exploring different aspects of life. I mean, you were a lifeguard at one point and a salesperson and a waitress and a secretary, and now you're one of the top speakers in the globe. And so how did this journey begin? And what compelled you to choose this profession of speaking? So could you tell us a little bit more about what's the story behind all of that? Sure. Uh, I graduated with an English lit degree, and I noticed you often asked, is there a quotation that guides you? And I, I had to giggle because my handouts are full of quotations, and I often see people in my workshops highlighting them or circling them, and I've found strategic ones that have to do with, with different areas and different aspects. But as far as getting started, <laughs> my, my first job out of college was teaching Ninth grade English. Mm. And I always have to pause after I say that. Uh, I did it for six months. <laughs> and uh, people are up and, you know, what happened? And I, I was lucky enough to get a job in November because I did my student teaching and then got a job. And my dad, of course, who was a teacher, was thrilled. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it truly was. But I learned that the place you don't want to be is the teacher's lounge because that's where the unhappy teachers sit and talk about the kids that they don't like. 
And of course, I was young and I was all caught up in creating a wonderful environment for the kids. So I quit teaching and decided to pursue uh, what my mother and grandma had influenced in me. And I went to work at Nordstrom. And of course, that's a name that resonates anywhere for everybody. And um, I was very successful there. This was years ago, and it was a department that was created to dress career women. So I would see them, and they'd come back a week later, and I would have gathered everything, including shoes and accessories. So basically, I was a precursor to what's now their, I think they call it now, personal touch. Uh, It didn't exist then, but I pretty much created it. And that brought me in touch with all kinds of very successful career women, which was inspirational for me. And then I I left Nordstrom. And one of the things I did was actually work with and for a communication consultant. And our clients were people like the Pike Place Market Foundation and the Bicentennial States Bicentennial, and Jim McDermott, who is still one of our (laughs) representatives, his first campaign. So we worked on some big stuff, and she was self-employed. And it was a real, uh, really my first exposure, except for my grandma, to uh, a self-employed person, person who created something. So working with her was, was very exciting. And then... Uh, one of my customers at Nordstrom approached me and said, I want to start a women's boutique and you're the person I want to do it with. So she and I started a boutique that became very successful and I enjoyed that and had a lot of exposure. And at that time, I also went to, boy, does this date me, John Robert Powers, which was where you learn to model. (laughs) And I started doing a lot of of, uh, television commercials and at the same time started my own image consulting business. And it was with the person who'd been my instructor at John Robert Powers. And I, I think at that time I was only, what, 28, 29. I think I needed that that more established person, just a little bit older than me, to actually start my business. But that was my first business. And my clients were career people, executives, entrepreneurs. Um, but what happened, and I think you want to know where we think we went off the rails a little bit. What happened was a person named John Malloy came on the scene, and he wrote a book called Dressed for Success. And everybody, the women were all running around looking like visiting nurses. Uh, that was always my description of what he (sighs) professed we should wear. I heard him speak one time and he said, I'm, um, what was the term he used? Not marketer, uh, person who knows about numbers, a statistician. He said, and you can make statistics say anything you want. Mm. And I looked at him and I thought, wow, you're a charlatan. And unfortunately, I didn't wake up soon enough to start doing uh, seminars because he was what everybody was touting. And I didn't wake up when he disappeared, which was very quickly, frankly. 
and stayed just doing private consultation with men and women. And frankly, what I should have done is started speaking on the topic much sooner than I did. Um, then I started speaking on the topic. And <laughs> I had no idea of timing or anything. I was just great at talking. And my, my partner would stand in the background and you can't see what I'm doing. But if you had a football coach, dad, you know the sign and it is time. <laughs> you have one hand up and one hand on top of it. And she would say time. And I basically stopped talking. Well, happily, I've, I've learned a much better approach to speaking as a professional speaker. But I, I frankly, after a while, the image consulting didn't a term we use in Seattle, didn't float my boat. It, it just didn't feel that it had the kind of impact I wanted to have. So I, at the advice of one of my clients who said, Jan, why don't you come in and do a program for my staff on first impressions? It was the big term back then. And I said, oh, I can do that. And the minute I started speaking and interacting with a group, I knew I'd found my home. I knew I'd found my new um, situation. Well, you don't just fall into speaking. So to make the transition, I joined um, what was then the, the public seminar company. It was called Career Track. It's still around, but it's not the same. <laughs> and I started traveling all over the U.S all over Canada, to England, Scotland, and Ireland, leading communication skills programs. I loved it. And I learned a lot of things. I remember the term signposting, the first time they said signposting. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> and it was basically tell people where you are so they can follow you. And I learned timing. And I... I Career track, I was on the trainer advisory group, and we had annual get-togethers where we would have, we would all do little breakout sessions. We also would get together uh, in, there. they were based in Boulder. We'd get together in Boulder and talk about a particular topic for the whole weekend. And so I'd, I'd say something like, well, on page three, I find it kind of drags. What do you do? Oh. What a wealth of learning and information. <clears throat> and today, many of the people who were part of Career Track are also leaders in the National Speakers Association. So I was, I was really rubbing shoulders with the best of the best. The other reason I went with Career Track was I knew that my clients, remember my image clients, my wardrobe clients, would make the connection, oh, she's now a trainer. Mm. And that really worked. So that was a big part of the transition. Unfortunately, for the most part, this is not available to people today. I mean, the public seminar companies just don't function uh, the way they used to. But it was an incredible five-year learning experience for me. I came out of that having done some marketing, thank goodness, <laughs> and walked right into a huge client, um, started doing some presentation skills programs for them. And I'll never forget the woman who hired me said, and if they like you, we'll hire you for more. 
and I was talking to my best friend, <laughs> and I, I've always saved her email. She emailed me back, and she said, if they like you. <laughs> and, uh, it, was, it was very fun. It was, it was a big step. Uh, but here's the other piece where I fell down. I didn't see career track pattern or modus operandi was full day trainings. Mm. Now, you don't run into those very much anymore. Oh, number one, it was exhausting. <laughs> but two, that was the structure. So I left there thinking, okay, I'm a trainer. That's like being a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. This is my mind. And, uh, of course, people didn't want full-day trainings. And then I connected with a nonprofit for whom I did a lot of workshops. Their their pattern or their modus operandi was three-hour workshops. So at least I'm (laughs) cutting it in half now. And then I had clients requesting, could you do that in two hours? And I'm like, well, sure. So I started to learn how to really pare it down. Well, today I'm doing mostly breakout sessions and those are anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes. So one of the things we really have to learn as professional speakers, and it took me a while to to see this, is can you take a training, can you turn it into a, a breakout? And of course, you know this well, Cal, can you turn it into a blog post? Can you turn it into a book? Can you turn it into... So um, I learned it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my joys as a member of the National Speakers Association Northwest Chapter was to uh, be the person who brought the Speakers Academy, and we now call it ProTrack, to the Northwest. And I did, I created it, I didn't create it myself, I got um, a a model from the National Speakers Association, but we have such a wealth, as you've mentioned, Cal, and you've met a lot of them, we have such a wealth of knowledge and experience in our chapter that I took the curriculum that I got and fit it around the expertise of our people like Brian Walter and Bill Stainton and Anna Liotta and Linda Keith. And those four people I mentioned have a huge national presence, National Speakers Association presence. So the the purpose, and uh, you mentioned to me before we started this interview, part of the people listening, some of the people listening are aspiring speakers or want to speak to promote their existing business. That is the whole purpose of ProTrack. And it was very exciting to me in the sort of twilight of my career to really think about what does someone starting out need and then creating that and providing it for them. And it's, it's, it's been very exciting and it still goes on. So, no, wow. That's, no, that's, no, <laughs> no, I think that's, uh, that's really amazing. I mean, it's just... Uh, just the through line of your career is just fascinating. It started off with, uh, you know, the Nordstrom uh, days all the way to, uh, you know, join the communication consulting company and then on to a boutique and then uh, modeling with for TV commercials 
and then starting your own image consulting business and then eventually uh, realizing the opportunity of uh, presentation and communication and joining one of the uh, top seminar companies during those days, career track, and being rated as a highly rated trainer uh, within that company. And that's that's just remarkable, Jen. Really kudos to you for following your passion. And uh, and so my question to you is, you know, one of the things that we often get from our audiences, the questions is that, how do we know that you know, this is our home? Like you mentioned earlier on that, when you transition from image consulting to actually doing effective presentation and communication, you really kind of like had that knowledge or the know-how or the inner knowing that this is this is my forte or this is my home. So the question really for you is, how can people really understand what their forte is or what their superpower is or what their environment is? Any Any tips on that or is it just random luck, do you think? <laughs> it's a little bit of luck, uh, but we hear it is constantly when people come to NSA Northwest meetings. They will say, it, it, you, I always know the expression on their face, they will say, I found my home. And part of it is being with a group of entrepreneurs. And we are, we're very different people. I do a communication styles inventory. And one of my favorite quotations is from George Bernard Shaw. He says, the greatest problem with communication is the assumption that it has taken place. And that's sort of the premise of many of my programs, because my business is called Your Communication Connection. But what what, um, superpower, I I don't actually ever use that term, but I know you do and some other people do. What, what excites you. And as I say, when, when that client said, would you come and do a training for the employees at my company? And the minute I was standing with that group, I was energized. And people will often say, you have so much energy. Well, (laughs) if they would follow me back to my hotel room, they would see that I practically pass out. But at that moment in that room with the audience, I'm energized. Uh, I think some people think a presentation is something you do uh, at people, to people. I don't feel that way at all. To me, it's something that you and the audience are involved in together. And so if there's a superpower, One of it is my ability to connect with and involve the audience. Let me give you an example. I was asked to do this presentation styles, communication styles piece for the first meeting. And I love to say this word. The group is called SMACNA. (laughs) Isn't that a great acronym? It is. (laughs) Metal and Air Conditioning National Association. And one of the things they offer is uh, foreman training. So all of the people in the room, and most of them were men, uh, were going to go through this so that they could go from being somebody who installed sheet metal to being somebody who not only installed sheet metal, but was a foreman. So I'm listening to the guy who went ahead of me, and I'm looking at the group, and I'm thinking, okay. I've got to do something right away to connect with these guys. 
so I drew on my experience with my dad. So I looked at them and I said, okay, how many of you played sports in high school? And a few hands went up. And I said, how many of you spent a lot of time in the vice principal's office in high school? <laughs> and they were practically jumping up and down and waving their arms. <laughs> I said, well, my dad was a coach and he was a vice principal. And one of the things that I've always held close to my heart is how many kids' lives he saved. And I mean that quite literally. I said, let me tell you one story. As a kid, I went all the way from kindergarten through graduating from high school with. And we were at our reunion, and he said to me, you know, how's your dad? And I said, well, Dave, we think he may have ALS and Alzheimer's. And this big guy had crocodile tears rolling down his cheek. And he said, your dad saved my life. He said, I now have a construction company. I'm very successful, and I owe a lot of it to him. And I looked at these guys in this training, and I said, you know what? You're about to become a foreman. You will have the opportunity to influence lives just like my dad did. Mm. So let's take a look at your communication style. That's what I mean by... That wasn't my normal opening. I don't always do that by any means. But this was what that audience needed. This is what they wanted to hear. This was the connection that they needed to make between what I was about to talk about, which was communication styles and understanding other people and adjusting your style to suit them. And I think I just got the feeling I got then. I actually kind of started to shake. And I will tell you that I knew I had made it as a speaker one time when I, I'm kind of silly speaker. I'm, I, mean, I could be kind of funny, and a lot of it is self-deprecating humor. And I had said something, and we were all laughing, the audience and me, and I suddenly felt a little bit weak at the knees. You know how you feel when you really, really, really laugh? <laughs> and I thought, I think I just... I think I just made it as a speaker. I mean, you make that that physical connection with yourself and with your audience. Wow! Wow, that's that's really a great example, and I I like the quote that you uh, mentioned about George Bernard Shaw about the greatest problem or the illusion with communication is the assumption that it has taken place or occurred, and and this brings up another interesting question and. It's it's fascinating that you mentioned that you were able to read the room, read the audience, and make a connection uh, at that event. And so have you broken down, have you looked back in retrospect and looked at what can people do to be able to switch their opening or trade their always known opening that they always rely on, but oftentimes they may have to let go of that because in that situation, in that moment, you know, the situation is different that you have to be like a little improviser, if you will, and really connect with the audience. So have you looked at like what can people kind of like uh, think about in terms of opening or connecting with the audience when they actually kick off their presentation? And to just to give you a little bit of a, uh, a hint here, because I was looking at your uh, background here on the website, and one of the things you mentioned is the importance of intent. It's like, what would you want to happen? 
can you can you tell a little bit more about that? Uh, <laughs> well, you you want me to share another quotation because it it kind of drives this one. Stephen Covey said, "Most people do not listen with the intent to understand; they listen with the intent to reply." Mm. And uh, yes, I talk a lot about communication. The the first aspect is what's your intent? What do you want to have happen in this situation? And I, I, I laugh because I even heard a, a a color color person talking about pro golf, and he was talking about standing over a putt. <laughs> and I got and he said, you have to think about what is your intent. And I thought, wow, I mean, this is true in everything you do. And the problem with communication is that a lot of us don't think about our intent before we start talking. So if, if I can parallel that to the audience, um, I do what you've obviously done with me. I look at their websites. I talk to, especially if I've been hired to come in to speak at an association or something, I really talk about whoever hired me, um, the executive director or the meeting planner or someone. I find out a little bit more about them. If, if at all possible, interview a few people. But I'll tell you very honestly, that day standing in front of that form and training series, I knew who they were. They were a bunch of guys who spent a lot of time in the vice principal's office. <laughs> and I, I needed to make that connection because, number one, I'm a woman. And I was up there talking about, you know, you've got to be a better communicator. Well, they've all heard that before, um, and they don't want to hear it again. So I don't know if I'm talking around your question or if I'm getting toward it. But you really have to think about, okay, what do I want to accomplish here? One... At that point, I wanted them to take in and discover the usefulness of applying it to their planned career, which was to be a foreman. My brother and I have laughed. We're both, uh, he's a retired English teacher. I taught, as I said, for six months. And I, I laugh now because one of the classes I occasionally teach is effective emails. And I think, wouldn't it have been nice way back then to be able to say to those kids, you know what, you're going to be typing and a lot of your communication is not going to have visuals, it's not going to have tone, it's going to be on a screen. Uh, and really relating that to teaching English rather than <laughs> all the other stuff we were doing way back then. Um, really thinking about the usefulness, which to me is partly the intent. So how are you going to apply this? How are you going to use it? Um, no, that is really great. And I think uh, the other thing I'm also sensing in, in that moment when you connected with those uh, folks uh, at that event is really emotional intelligence, the ability to really understand what was going on in that room and knowing in your heart of hearts that these are the kids who were in the vice principal's office quite a bit and then able to use that information. And I think that's a gift. That's really a skill that, uh, you know, can be honed in my opinion, but uh, some people are naturally good at it. Um, and before going a little bit further into communication, I would be remiss if we don't touch upon a little bit of your background on image consulting and, 
And one of the things uh, that I'm curious about is, you know, the appearance of employees at corporations that we normally engage with. It has such a big impact on the customers and the clients that the company comes in contact with. And we all know that. So to that point, what are your some of the best tips that you can give us in terms of, you know, how to communicate a professional image? And it's something that we think we know, but oftentimes we miss some of those important salient points, if you will. So what are some of your tips for in that regard? Okay, if you don't mind, I'm going to take it a little a little further than that. Uh, one of my most popular programs now is called Leader as Influencer, Impression Management in the Spotlight. And the first time I, I did that program, uh, it, always there are people coming up asking you questions afterward. And I saw this young woman kind of standing aside and I thought, boy, I know her. And by the time she got up to me, I remembered who she was. And she was the daughter of two image clients that I had had, I don't know, 20 years prior, probably. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, you have come full circle. And I realized that I, I didn't leave my image consulting behind because a lot of what I talk about in that program is um, is about image. And it's how people perceive you, what they see when you're walking around. So it isn't just wardrobe. It's a lot more than that. You mentioned emotional intelligence. Uh, I have a section on that in, in that program. I also recommend that they read a book by uh, Marshall Goldsmith called, and I love the title, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And he is an internationally recognized coach for people who've been sort of targeted to become CEOs but have some fatal flaw, for a better term, that's holding them back. And this is who he coaches. So by the end of that program, having gone, talked about communication, talked about uh, the impression that you make on others, talked about emotional intelligence, the whole time I'm asking them, think about what's the one thing that might be holding you back. And I, I keep talking about it through the program. And by the end of the program, I do one of Marshall Goldsmith's exercises. He calls it feed forward. I encourage everybody listening to read his book. What got you here won't get you there. And then go look at his website or just Google feed forward. And he has an exercise. So the last about 20 minutes of this program is they have decided one thing that they want to work on. And it's run the gamut. Uh, one guy based partly on something I had said, that I want to be less sarcastic because that can really get us in trouble. Uh, another one said, I want to be more believable. I want to be less intimidating. So these are the kinds of things that they have to come to. You know, what's one thing? And then they go around the room and they only get to talk to uh, a person for a little bit and they tell this person what they want to change or what they want feedback about. And the other person tells them and Marshall's very clear. All you can say during this 
is thank you and you're welcome. So there's no clarifying. They're just We just give them tips. So, for instance, um, <laughs> one of the quotes I share is from my mother. I uh, talk about when I was teaching ninth grade English and one of the kids was doing something, I don't know what, and I was just looking at him. And he put his hands up in front of his face and he said, please, please stop looking at me like that. I'll do anything. And I was, what, 22? And I I. I said to myself, I don't know what I was doing. And a little later, I was visiting my parents. I told my mom this story. And she said, oh, honey, you were intimidating as a baby. (laughs) I said, as a baby, mom? And she elaborated. I have big brown eyes, and I I look at people. But when somebody says, I want to be less intimidating, I say, then smile. When, when something's fun or lighthearted, smile instead of just staring at people because that is intimidating. I said, do you have open door policy? And she said, I remember one woman said, oh, yeah, my door is always open. And I said, how do you look when somebody walks in the door? And she said, oh, I look up at them and I'm like, don't take too long. You're bothering me. (laughs) And you know that look. It's on a person's face. And so when you say image, yes, the clothes matter, um, but it's everything. It's our facial expressions. It's our body language. It's the words that we choose. Uh, it's, It's everything. So... When when this young one, Jenny, said, you've come full circle, I realized I'd come the full circle I wanted to come. You mentioned NLP earlier. I'm very strongly visual, which is why I was successful at what I did. But the main reason I was successful as an image consultant was I recognized most of my clients were not visual, which is why they didn't pull this off. They were either kinesthetic, which has become one of my favorite kind of people. When it comes to wardrobe, it's very important to them how it feels. So I would never say, now look in the mirror. How do you think you look? I'd say, how does that feel? And the other thing that is fascinating to me and goes along with sensory recall is the kinesthetics also, when they see something, they're thinking about the mood that is created so the mood or the image that is created so i'm realizing that yeah a lot of people are looking at us of course we know the impact of that that first impression and that physical but they're also creating a mood around this person i have the advantage of having a four inch wide mouth (laughs) in other words i have a big smile and As a kid, I didn't use it. I was a frowner. I was a scowler. Partly because my teeth came in and created a real proportion problem because (laughs) I was very short and had these big teeth. Um, But since then, I've learned the the power of it. Another factor in NLP, and I will never forget this, uh, one of... My advisor said, you know, visual people look up and away when they're thinking. Think about that. We look up and away. And 
I know a lot of people who are frowning thinkers. Truly, when they think, they frown. It's part of, I don't know, it connects with their brains. So here I am, one-on-one in my image consulting days. And I said, well, how do I overcome this? And I remember this person telling me, take people with you. And I said, what? Tell them I'm a frowning thinker and I look away when I'm thinking? And she said, well, not in so many words, but yeah, kind of. (laughs) So I'm talking to a gentleman. He'd asked me a question. And I realized I was looking up at the ceiling. So I came back and I looked at him and I said, I bet I just frowned at you, didn't I? And he said, yeah, it was kind of scary. And I said, well, I've learned I'm a frowning thinker. And I will do that. And I'm I'm trying to unlearn it, but it it still happens. And he said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I said, "I, I bet I was looking away, too. And he said, yeah, you frowned at me and looked away. And I said, well, I've learned that I'm a visual learner, and visual learners look up and away. And he's like, wow, I think I'm one of those, too. Now, you don't unlearn traits like that right away. You, you become aware of them, and you work on them. So he asked another question. I knew I was looking at the ceiling. I wanted to look back at him and say, what did you see? <laughs> because he was looking at the ceiling, too. So I think the, the lesson is, yeah, and this is hard for me to say, but it's the truth. People are judging us all the time. I wish it weren't true, but it's true. So we really need to think about how we're coming across. And more importantly, and this is Marshall's premise, you need to get feedback from people who know you well. So this is part of the whole emotional intelligence thing, too really going to people and saying, like this one guy said, I would like to be less sarcastic and giving them some some actual tips. Um, Really thinking about what what is holding me back. And I tell people in in my workshops now, I say, you know, I'm a frowning thinker. So what I've tried to do is think with my eyebrows raised. I said, so now I look like a surprise thinker. (laughs) But that's better than a frowning thinker. So really getting feedback from people who know you and have your best interest in mind. I always say, don't go to the put down artist. Don't ask them. Go to people who have your better interest in mind, a mentor, a boss, a peer. And Marshall will always say someone who reports to you and get feedback constantly. So when Jenny said you've come full circle, Yes, I have, but with so much more information (laughs) and so much more awareness now. That is so great. And I think uh, you really uh, highlighted a lot of uh, important points here uh, with just being a professional and being a leader. And you mentioned Marshall Goldsmith. I had an incredible uh, and a wonderful opportunity to... uh, be in the same room as him when I attended a technology conference in San Diego not too long Mm. ago. And in fact, I think that was a time when he had actually launched that book, uh, uh, What Got You Here, What Get You There. And I distinctly remember one of the examples that he talked about is uh, one of the clients, executive CEOs that he was coaching at that time. And this was like a blind spot for the executive. And he mentioned specifically that, you know, when the subordinates would come to him with ideas, you know, he, the executive would really uh, think, you know, commend him for everything and think the idea was great. But then he would 
just unconsciously add another thing that they should fix or change. And in that idea or the proposal the subordinate was making, and what that left that direct report with was that his idea was diminished to the point or, you know, it just wasn't appreciated enough. And this was something totally unconscious that he, the executive was doing that he had no idea the impact it was having on the subordinate. So the moment he was able to fix that and change that, it had such a positive impact on the entire organization. So you're absolutely right. I think we often need to keep asking those questions. Uh, you know, what is one thing that's holding us back if you're not achieving the goals or our, our vision or whatever that we have set out to achieve at the speed of the, at the momentum that we want to achieve it at. So, uh, so no, that's really great. Now you're talking about mentors. Uh, I'm curious, who were your mentors growing up, and uh, were there anything, any particular ones that you want to give a shout out to that uh, really had a profound influence on your professional speaking career, or just growing up in general? Mm. Well, I've already mentioned four huge ones: my mother and dad, my grandma, and my brother. Uh, I can remember my brother is a He's 6'5". His name is Jock. He's an athlete. And then he had this little sister. I always say pictures of us look like a tree and a mushroom. (laughs) It was true. And, you know, I was way before Title IX, before women had organized sports. And early on, Jock said, she's got to do something. She's got to do something physical. So he's the one who thought up a swim team for me. And I was on the swim team. And uh, I speak a lot to recreation and park associations now. And my introduction, you mentioned I was a lifeguard. My introduction says, you know, our our speaker knows the recreation and park association. She, uh, let's see, where does it start? Uh, She was an assistant director at a recreation. um, She was the assistant recreation director at a, a park. She uh, got her WSI in the frigid waters of Beaver Lake. She lifeguarded in Lake Washington. She taught swimming for the Red Cross. And she swam, albeit rather slowly, on a swim team. And for those who want to become professional speakers, that, that's a great induction because they already know who I am. But it gets a laugh. <laughs> and the laugh is, uh, is a little bit at me. Um, because I think if we stand up there and say, you know, I'm the expert, um, we can get ourselves in trouble. We really can. So um, my mentors, oh, gosh, um, there were a lot of people. I mentioned uh, the communications consultant that I worked with. She was a huge mentor. Because, I can remember uh, she had a dinner party for the head of the Pike Place Market Foundation and a lot of other people. And she said, Jan, I don't want you to think I'm asking you to be you know, a servant, but would you come and, and help me at this dinner? And I laughed. Cal, two <laughs> things. She had one of those French press coffee things, you know, and, and where you, you put the coffee in the bottom and then you pour the water and you wait three minutes and you push the plunger very slowly down. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking at this thing. So, of course, I yanked it back up and pushed it down again. <laughs> it's not what you want to do. And uh, so, I mean, besides watching a woman who is self-employed, she she really helped me become uh, more, uh, I guess, sophisticated is the word. 
I mean, now I know how to use the French press, you know. <laughs> Don't embarrass myself anymore. Um, let's see. One of my first clients, and he began as a wardrobe client, and then he's the one that said, would you come in and do first impression trainings for my employees? Um, he also asked me once if I'd be his HR person. <laughs> and I looked at him and I, I drew a, a square around my, my face and I said, look at this face. Do you see me talking about cobras and benefits? <laughs> <laughs> he started laughing and he said, no. He said, but I'd just like you to be available to, you know, talk to employees because they listen to you and they, they talk with you. He is also the person who sent me my first email. He got me on email. Now I'm talking, oh, heavens, 25 years ago. Um, he is a, a techie guy, and he sort of brought me into the world of technology. And I can remember when I uh, created my website, and I sent him the link, and he, went, and he, he called me. You know, sometimes you have to do low tech. He called me and he said, it is so you. Your personality comes through. And I think that's a huge challenge today. You know, we've got all the social media. Uh, we're do communicating so much by email. And, you know, right now, nobody really has a visual to look at. Um, so the auditory part has to step up. We've got a lot of things to think about. Yeah. And he was, he was enormous in helping me through that. Then let's take it to today with the National Speakers Association. I'm surrounded by mentors because we're all entrepreneurs and we all have different expertise. And I mentioned Brian Walter, who's the current national president of the National Speakers Association. And I can remember many years ago, he looked at me and he said, Jan, why don't you have your CSP? And that's a designation in our association, which is Certified Speaking Professional. And it requires a lot of paperwork. You have to document five years worth of your career and who, where you spoke and who you spoke to and how much they pay you and who the contact person is. So that alone is daunting. And today you have to have a, a video of you making a presentation. You have to have testimonials. I mean, there are all kinds of things. And I won't tell you my answer to Brian, but it has something to do with age. And uh, the person speaking the next day of the meeting was a former president of the National Speakers Association. And she practically threw a, a arrow at me. She said, some people don't have their CSB because they think they're too old. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. So I immediately documented it. But when you say mentor, okay, this is what Brian did. Somebody's, you're, part of the requirement to get your CSP is to attend an ethics session at one of our association meetings or listen to an audio of it. And one of my uh, fellow members said, you know, Brian just got his CSP. So uh, 
and I don't, I think he got the, the audio. So why don't you connect with him and he can share it with you and you won't have to buy it. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I emailed Brian and I said, Hey, Brian, do you have that audio of the ethics? Okay. Two days later, I received it from national. Brian had deleted it. He purchased it for me and had it sent to me. Mm. And I know that goes beyond, quote, mentor, but the kind of support like that and the encouragement is one of the reasons a lot of us join the National Speakers Association, because we have that kind of support from our fellow members, our colleagues, um, our people. Wow. That's that's really incredible. And... Uh so I'm going to kind of switch gears here, Jan. In the interest of time, I know we are running close to the one-hour mark here. But I want to get your thoughts on a couple of other things, and specifically related to speaking. I know the audience is going to love this uh, conversation so far we've had. So as far as uh, credibility is concerned uh, as a speaker, what are some of the ways that you found in your career that really has a significant impact Uh as a speaker in order to get your credibility in front of an audience. Of course, you have the credentials. Of course, uh, there is that uh, first impression. Uh, But what have you found to be the biggest driver or the leverage point that really drives credibility? At the event or to get the event? At the event. At the event or get the event both. Yeah. Um, I, I discovered this in ProTrack, uh, how important, I didn't discover it there, but I've discovered how important it is to stress this, how important your introduction is. And a lot of speakers think, oh, well, this should be all my credentials, you know, blah, 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 blah. He did this and this and this, and she's been to this and this and has an MBA in this and that isn't the what's in it for me that your audience wants. So that's why when I speak to Recreation and Park, that's why that first paragraph, they need to know, I know what they do. Then I can say the other things. And the other piece is, this is not you saying it. Unfortunately, it's often someone reading it badly or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that, that's often the case. But it's still the opportunity for someone else to say these things about you. What's also happening now, and and this is even more so, is they're creating, uh, most of my clients are creating usually online brochure, which has a section on, uh, you know, talking about this is the presenter. Well, really thinking about what you say there and how you write it. And that we spend a lot of time in ProTrack talking about your introduction and how you describe yourself and how you describe your, your credentials. Um, I do a program on creating a one sheet that sells you. And I use that in a lot of different ways, but we know, and I think most of the entrepreneurs listening will know the best way to sell yourself is through testimonial. So someone who has had an experience uh, with, you or your event or something that you did 
for instance, I'm going back to Florida again to speak to the Florida Recreation and Park Association. And after I was there, the executive director, who I've learned is very well respected around the country, sent me an email and she said, your evaluations were off the charts and everybody (laughs) wants you back again next year. So mark your calendar. Now, I have to tell you, they're not all like that, but that one was. So I immediately emailed her and I said, Eleanor, may I quote you? May I put that on my uh, website and use your quote? She said, of course. That's number one, get a good testimonial, but two, ask their permission to use it. And I have her whole name and her title and her association. I think these ones with somebody's initials, uh, that to me doesn't fly. It's just like Yelp. Who is this person saying this? It, it, that's important to me. So uh, testimonials, your introduction, and yes, how you look when you're standing there. So in some cases, dressing for your audience but a little bit better than they are dressed. So you can imagine when I'm speaking to recreation and park associations, I mean, a lot of them are in jeans and practically sweatshirts. And frankly, a lot of my audiences are, but I'm not. And I never would be because I've got to, as you said, establish some credibility. Um, So once they've heard all the credentials, they've heard the background and experience. I will build in something like the story I said about my mom saying, honey, you were intimidating as a baby. Mm. Right away, I've got to make it clear that I'm not here to lecture you. I'm here to learn with you. I'm here to take you on a journey. Um, I'm, I'm one of you. Um, and I think that's extremely important. And unfortunately, I have heard speakers who do not do that. And I think a lot of us tune them out right away. Uh, I can remember hearing Marshall Goldsmith speak. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. But I, honest to God, he didn't have a sport coat on even. And I swear the tail of his button-down shirt was hanging out of his pants. <laughs> he, he is just very real. But you have no doubt that he's credible. Uh, a book always helps. That's uh, a big one. Um, but also a, a social media present, blogs, tweets, good website, um, that sort of thing. Does that? Does that? Yeah, it does. It certainly does. Absolutely, okay. it certainly does. I think the introduction and having the testimonials as well as a good social media presence and, of course, uh, a best-selling book wouldn't hurt either. No, that's great. Uh, moving on to our next section, I know uh, we are running over time here, but just want to kind of like wrap up here with uh, a rapid-fire round, a quick uh, few questions to ask you. We won't get through all of them, but just for the uh, fun aspect of it. So well, the first question for you is, Who's your favorite music band, Jen? My favorite music band? Uh, Believe it or not, it's Rolling Stones. Great. The second question within the rapid fire round, whose brain would you like to pick? Uh, Oh, my gosh. So many people. Probably all the people I quote, like Goethe and Galileo and Shaw and... Even Roger Staubach, 
who said, you know, Roger Staubach, the quarterback for the Cowboys, he said, there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. Hmm. So I would like to be able to talk to all of these people. I, uh, one person, I don't know. Great. The next question, uh, what was the best piece of advice you've received? I know it's a pretty broad question, but whatever comes to your mind. Uh, one was when I wanted to make the transition was joining a public seminar company. And I'll just say this quickly. One of my colleagues said, well, what if career track doesn't take you? <laughs> and I remember thinking, of course they're going to take me. And and I think that kind of led a lot of my life. Mm. Confidence. Yes. Confidence. Gotcha. And then the final question within the rapid fire round, and that is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Uh, uh, I think I'll use another quotation, and it's one that I put on my action plan page, and it's from Galileo. And he said, you cannot teach a person anything. You can only help them discover it in themselves. Mm, I, I really like that. That relates to all this connecting with your audience and everything else that I've said. No, it's, You're that's, helping them discover it in themselves. I really like that. That's awesome. And the final section, and this is a wrap-up uh, section, I just have the last three questions for you. And the first one is, what are you currently working on as a personal and business passion project, Jan? And uh, what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? My focus now is completely uh, speaking to recreation and park associations. So I've created uh, a one sheet for them that, that addresses them specifically. Uh, I have my topics that address them specifically. And I've really researched, so I'm marketing to those associations that I feel can hire me. Some of them cannot. They have really small budgets, but... Um, that's my focus now, which is kind of exciting. Um, part of my criteria, I hope everybody will laugh at this, is going to lovely places and staying in lovely hotels. <laughs> I mean, besides great audiences, that's, um, you know, at this point in my career, that's part of my focus. Well, that's great. Clarity helps, definitely. <laughs> uh, what are three things you're grateful for in life? Uh, my friends, my family, um, and I think the way my friends would describe me, they describe me as someone who listens and someone with whom they laugh. And uh, Ethel Barrymore said, you grow up the day you have your first real laugh at yourself. And I think so many of us take ourselves so seriously that, that being able to laugh at ourselves is very important. Absolutely. And I want to acknowledge you, Jan, for really a few things here. One being, what an incredible journey that you've had all the way from those days at uh, Nordstrom as an image consultant to starting your own company and then moving, working as a seminar leader with one of the top seminar companies in those days and then starting your own speaking business and really honing your skills to the point that you're really rated as one of the top speakers out there in the NSA community and the world. And I really, really uh, 
think you're such a role model for all of us as to how to really connect and communicate with our audience. What are some of the things that we could really need to focus on so that, as Marshall Goldsmith says, what got you here won't get you there. So you're really a testament for what's possible and truly an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you, Cal. And one final question, Jan, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Because our friends are so wise. (laughs) Uh, And we discovered new friends, and we discover new things. And as Galileo said, these things will help us discover something in ourselves. And I think that's the power of your wisdom of friends. Thank you so much. I really appreciated our conversation. And again, for those of us who are listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Carla Ras. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.